What is up? What is up? What is up? Everyone, everyone, everyone. It's another day, another time, and another week for Real Talk Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We've been off for a month, but we are back like we ain't never left. Let me ask you a question before we start off our theme song. Are you still not keeping it real with us? If you aren't keeping it real with us, go over there and like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube under Reverend JC3 Ministries YouTube channel, and listen to our podcast, like it, rate it, share it, and let everybody know that We'll Talk Monday is on. But right now, y'all know how we start off We'll Talk Monday. We've been off for a month, but we starting it like we ain't never left. Like I said, I got my co-host, Miss Tevis, in the building with me. How you doing, sis? Hey, how are you all? I hope everybody is starting to enjoy their summer, traveling, doing some self-care and relaxing. That is the goal for this summer. Please enjoy your time. Amen. So y'all, we got two great guests, which you'll get to meet very shortly, but let's kick it off with this theme song. And as the theme song plays, share and let everybody know that Real Talk Monday is on. Let's go. What is up? What is up? What is up, y'all? It is another day, another time, and another week for Real Talk Monday. Let us go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll introduce these lovely ladies that we got with us on tonight. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for another day and another day's blessing. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you are continuing to do. We thank you for the doors that you have opened and the ways that you have made. We thank you for allowing us to come back together once again for another Real Talk Monday. We thank you for the time off that we had. But we thank you for bringing us back like we never left. And we just ask that you get myself, Tevis, and our guests out of the way so that your name gets the glory, your name gets the honor, and your name gets the praise. These men blessings in your son. Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, Tevis, you want to tell them what we're talking about tonight, and then we'll introduce our guests? Sure, sure, sure. So, today we are going to be talking about Black women in the workforce. Um, this is going to be the talk of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Everyone should have heard of this on their jobs, at their jobs, if not just in the world with everything that is going on. Um, we are, as always, these are our perspectives. These are our understanding. These are our views, not to sway anyone, but just to share our stories and our visions. Um with you all, with the people that are on listening and uh, being a part of our, our Real Talk Monday family. So um, that is our topic today. Um, Dr. Kelly, if you would like to introduce yourself after Dr. Kelly, Miss Stephanie, if you would introduce yourself. Hi, I am Dr. Kelly Martin. I hail from 
uh, Chicago. Um, I have been in Nashville about five years, although I came here for the first time about 25 years ago, starting my educational matriculation at the beautiful Fisk University. Um, I am I have my doctorate in business administration, uh, as well as um, certificates in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, business acumen, and executive performance coaching. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Miss Stephanie. Hello, everybody. My name is Stephanie McGregor. I am a entrepreneur. I own a business, an LLC. Um, I am stationed here in Sylacauga, Alabama. Um, I am also a former grocery and stocking manager. I have been a uh, receptionist and uh, have held several management positions. So I have like tons of experience in the workforce. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Ms. Stephanie. I appreciate it. Thank you both for being here. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit. My thing is always kind of defining some of the things that we're going to do. And I think one of the ladies actually um, sent this question in, which is pretty much what uh, my disclaimer, if you will. Um, <clears throat> diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are four concepts that work together to boost team dynamics, productivity, and innovation within an organization with DEIB at the core of missions, a company ensures that each team member has equal opportunities to do their best work and feels valued. It broadly includes race, ethnicity, gender, age, national origin, religion, disability, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, education, marital status, language, veteran status, physical appearance. Um, well, the terms that I were going to define, which was one of the questions, what is the difference between diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, just from my reading and research, diversity is a fact. The numbers are what they are. Diversity is the presence of differences within a given setting. Inclusion is a choice. You decide whether to include someone or not. Inclusion is the practice of making people feel a sense of belonging at work. Belonging is a feeling that can be enforced by a culture that you can purposely create. Equity is the act of ensuring that processes and programs are impartial and fair and provide equal possible outcomes for every individual. So those are just the terms that we, we will see if we research, if we pull up a dictionary, if we Google or research it. Um, but we can let that be the first question. If you all want to answer, if you all feel differently from what was shared, please jump in and, and share your piece. So oh, honey, you just gave the simplified uh, yes, yes, yes. dictionary yeah. <laughs> uh, definition of what DE&I, um, then you add sometimes B and then sometimes J for justice. It is a culture. It is mm -hmm. your work culture um if you do not have staff that mirrors your customers uh the people that you serve then your profitability is not going to be maximized if you do not have inclusive environments people are likely to quit uh because they do not feel welcome and if you have not created an equitable environment in the workplace then you are merely recycling the civil rights movement by placing minorities in workspaces where they are not welcome. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you said about three things that I want to chime in on, sister. Okay, Miss Stephanie, what about you? I said that um, diversity is the act of inclusion um, by including people from a variety of different social and ethnic backgrounds, um, genders, and sexual preferences. Inclusion is the policy that protects the people in those diverse backgrounds. And that equity is the distinct quality that is often seen in the, that isn't often seen in the workplace, but needs to be. And equity is the act of fairness for all people in spite of race, religion, gender, and all disabilities and sexual purposes. Okay, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So before we jump into the second um, question on that, um, I want to speak on culture. Um, I had a, a CEO that often would say, um, culture trumps policy. Culture Every trumps day. policy. What'd you say? Every day. Yes. Every and day. if a lot of programs and businesses um, ran like that, um, I think that there would be uh, differences in a lot of aspects. Some may not be good. Some may be great. Some may be, uh, we're trying to figure out how this really feels, right? Um, it's still that, um, if you will, slave mentality by way of the system, the control, the, you know, living by these standards and these rules. But if your culture is that one of, as you said, inclus being inclusive and also what you said, clients and your, your staff or the people you have, if they have some type of commonality, um, there, there's something there, right? There's going to be growth. There's going to be a better opportunity for understanding and communication and not so much of maybe looking down on the population, but a understanding. Uh, one of the first schools that I taught at when I was here, I noticed that um, all the people that sat in particular roles did not look like me, did not look like the population that we were serving, right? And to me, and I've said this, they did just enough to keep the community stagnant, right? Not to push them over, um, but just enough to keep the community stagnant. To me, that was that looked like something different. So when I was I was working on my first master's in human behaviors and services during my time there, and a lot of the papers I wrote in the documents spoke on just that, right? Why is it that there's no there's nobody in these roles that look like us, but there's the teacher's assistants look like me. But why aren't we teachers? Why aren't we sitting in these administrative roles, right? Um, so anyway, that is my spill on, on that first part. So yes, yes, Kel Dr. Kelly and Miss Stephanie. Yes, 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 yes. This is all in my jam. Okay. Well, you, you said a lot too, because it's not just about representation. When you turn around and you begin to look at why are, why does the TAs look like us, but not the actual educators, you have to understand that it goes back into that equitable space of having equitable information, equitable resources. Mm -hmm. Do the TAs have what they need to go to school and become educators? Do they have, are you providing them in the workplace with that space? Do you even care enough to say, hey, we don't have anyone in leadership or in this classroom that looks like these people leading the classroom, leading the, the lesson planning here. 
they have to actually care enough to mm-hmm. be able to say and recognize that and to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you turn around that, it leads back to that equity piece. And this is, I stand on it. It's the hill that I'll die on. Equity is the bridge between diversity and inclusion because equity is where you dismantle those systems, initiatives, and programs that promote white supremacy. And you go ahead and say, okay, we gonna give we gonna give her enough boxes to stand on, mm-hmm. so that she has equal level uh, of the the playing field as he does standing on one box mm-hmm. or whatever the case is. But you have to be a part of an organization that actually cares about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're seeing a lot of in DEI is that companies it's, it's a catchphrase like it's trendy now to talk about DEI. It's trendy to be for it. It's trendy to be against it, but nobody wants to actually disrupt their day-to-day operations to do any type of organizational change management to make sure that equitable experiences are had by everyone across the board. Because that's real work. I agree as well. Um, As I'm sitting here listening to you all, I'm reminded of when I was in first grade, having my first black female teacher, Mm -hmm. um, I did not have another teacher that was of color until high school. Mm. And it amazed me. And I never really thought about it until like, literally I'm just sitting here. It's just amazes Mm. me of just how, how messed up this is. not having those resources available. I went to school um, at the University of Montevallo um, teaching upward bound uh, high school students in the Shelby County area. Um, I also attended Central Alabama Community Community College as well and took part in this program um, called SSS Student Support Service. It's a federally funded program for low income students, first generation students and students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. About 85% of the students that took part in that program were Black. About 10% were Latino, and the 5% was Caucasian. Um, as far as me being able to get to the point to where I could get my degree, it was a challenge. And the teachers at my um, school, they made it hard to really push. So I had to reach out to my um, SSS my SSS instructor. I had to go back to my community college for assistance only to find out that that program no longer exists and was replaced by STEM. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like taking away those type of programs, that's really setting people like myself, uh, a young individual who wants to go further and in a whole nother career, um, that's placing us in like, that's, that's putting us in a bad place. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't promote growth without those resources. Mm-hmm. You know, other people have these different advantages, but for us, you know, it's harder. Right. And right. Um, yeah, right. it just amazes me at how messed up things are, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. especially within the education system leading into the workforce, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I sit here and listen to y'all talk, um, I sat here and thought, 
about some things. And as I was thinking, I was trying to think of when was the first time that I had a black teacher. Mm-hmm. First grade year, I had a black substitute. Mm-hmm. All through elementary school, we had a black substitute. They would let them serve. But as far as a black teacher, even in middle school and high school, you really didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like they would let us play sports. <laughs> oh, they're gonna let you play basketball. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because they need you for that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they're gonna let you play football because they need you for that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes time to see people like myself doing things, I didn't see it. But mm-hmm. now as I look at it. I go back and I look and the generation after me is getting more of that. They're getting to see more of people mm-hmm. like them teaching. Mm-hmm. They're getting mm-hmm. to see people like them doing things and getting to see them being represented. And mm-hmm. it makes me proud now, but then again, I look at it and I'm like, dang, where was that at when I was coming up? Because mm-hmm. When I was coming up, all we saw was a black substitute. You didn't mm-hmm. really see a black teacher. Yeah. 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 And think about this. We're only talking about education, right? Like, we're not talking about the medical field. We're not talking mm-hmm. about attorneys. Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about that. Did you just? We just took a piece out of education, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Consider, so I'm a part of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women here, uh, the Nashville Metropolitan Chapter, and we work with 7th um, and 8th graders through a program that is the 100 Queens, and we were just talking, we, we did a mentorship program, and every week we discussed something different, and we got to the career element of it, and they gave your they gave your common ones your I want to be a doctor I want to be a lawyer I want to be an actress I want to be a teacher mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they had not seen themselves in other roles. Mm-hmm. I used to be a flight attendant. I was the first black flight attendant any of them had ever seen because half of them had never been on a plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you began to kind of dive into exposure. Also, what what is being what are we showing them? What have they mm-hmm. seen? And when you, you got to be careful because it's like, oh, well, what have they allowed us to be? We give them too much power, whoever they are, the powers that be. We give too much mm-hmm. power by saying, oh, well, they only allowed us to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. We have to mm-hmm. consider our verbiage and be intentional and diligent about when we talk about diversity, when we talk about what equity looks like for us, mm-hmm. and when we talk about inclusion. And what I found, one of the things I talk about in, in the workshops that I do uh, on DEI, specifically, uh, there's a symposium here with LaDoms. Um, it's a hospitality, a woman based hospitality organization here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And they are very intentional, intentional about, you know, just being equitable and desegregating the Nashville food scene. Mm-hmm. So I've done uh, the symposium with them two years in a row. And this year we, we get comfortable being uncomfortable because mm-hmm. the ma- majority of the room does not look like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to face some things that may have you in your feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's not to make you feel guilty and it's not to 
make you offensive. But what I need you to understand is that your offense doesn't make you right. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. we don't talk about these things at their core, at their root, then we cannot correct them or fix them. So Tevis knows. I think it was your second master's. We, we when you we when we went through that program together, mm-hmm. and honey, I I pitched a holy fit because it was not one instructor in that program mm-hmm. that looked like us. Mm-hmm. And one of them came for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was what five of us out of thirty some odd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I tell you, those black women stood up and stood around me and was like, "You are not going to do that to her today." Yeah. Yeah, I, guess, I remember that. Mm-hmm. You get you get in that space, and it's like, why why we got a battle every day? We got every time. Battle. All my life, I had to fight. <laughs> yes, for sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm in school. I'm getting we getting degrees around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My resume will run circles around yours. That's right. That's right. But Mm-hmm. You you you're talking to me this way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I never I will never forget it when I tell you these sisters sat up and was like, uh uh-uh, uh, that's what you're not gonna do. Mm-hmm. That's what you're not gonna do. So it's in a space where, when we are labeled as being combative, or we're labeled as being angry, or we're labeled when we're labeled as anything, when people decide they want to tone police us because they don't understand the mm-hmm. vernacular in which we speak mm-hmm. it, that's why that's mm-hmm. why yeah. we're always on our guard mm-hmm. you, yeah, you just said true. something very powerful you said that those women stood up and stood beside you and stood behind you oh baby but they me. here's the thing here's the thing nowadays do we have that same mindset when we are seeing our brothers or our sisters being came for, are we willing to take a stand like, no, you ain't going to do this today? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to just sit back and be like, you know what, it ain't happening to me, but oop, glad it ain't me. So since it ain't mm-hmm. me today, I'm going to just sit back. We cannot sit back and ask for equality and then mm-hmm. us not put our best effort forward. Mm-hmm. We cannot say we demanding equality, but yet and still, when we're demanding this, when we're saying we want this, yet and still, we're going to sit back when inequality is happening to somebody else that looks just like us. Yeah. We can't do that. Yeah. It's it's almost, a cra- it's almost like the crab in the bucket syndrome, but it's exactly. also like, it's almost like... Um, I was talking to, um, as you guys know, um, I was going to tell that at the end, but I have uh, received my credentials to be a uh, a doula, a birthing doula, right? So I was talking to- Congratulations. A, thank you. Thank you. Another um, beautiful Black woman um, today, doula. And, you know, we kind of was having that conversation around how it's like, you know, where can we build? A, is there a community of black doulas here in Nashville? And there there are, you know, there are. But also, and, and that's great. But also the thing is, when when we are, when we have a group of us, and that's in, I have a, you know, for my early childhood education, I have, you know, a group, a group together that I'm building too. But I want us to be able to come together in a safe place to be able to talk and discuss and vent 
without judgment, right? And I find that sometimes we don't talk because we're fearful of judgment. We don't want to step in because, oh, I don't want to lose my job or, you know, mm. I'm safe over here, so I'm going to let her handle that, right? Or you hear about things like a w woman getting raped on the subway train and there's people watching and videoing, but you're not taking up for her. Let's talk about the George Floyd situation. I promise you, I would not be the woman to be able to sit when I see someone or the, the black guy, the homeless man that um, that impersonated Michael Jackson that, you know, chokehold and died, like I I probably would die. And I'm just yeah. saying that. I know probably no two of you mean. That I could sit and see a woman being raped and I'm not going to step in. Yeah, the dude may no. kick my butt. He's going to have to kick it. But I know I know that this woman get ready to get up and get away from this man. You know what I'm saying? So when I think about do we step in? Do we step in like we're supposed to to support people in the workplace or in the communities in the public? We don't, but that's that fear. It's a fear of something. It's a fear of something, right? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to push this on into the next question, but um, I, I think with the questions, this is kind of going to circle back because I didn't want to say too much because it kind of answers another question. But um, if I have to say anything, I don't think that we step in and support like we should and that's just my perspective in my opinion um james will you go ahead and answer ask that question number two because <coughs> we don't we can, oh, like, definitely oh yeah so here's the next question that we have are all three slash four of these actually needed the equality and everything that we just talked about is that really needed now yes very much so um, when I was thinking about this question, um, I was thinking about like a pie shell, like a, a whole pie shell being um, considered like the diversity. Um, and then depending upon how much diversity is actually accepted by an employer, um, that determines the depth and how deep it is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The inclusion part is like the pie filling. It's that good stuff those policies mm -hmm. that are um, set forth to help promote um, those, um, promote the, the success of those in those different positions um, in those diversities. And then the um, equity part is the pie crust. It's that surface that you see. And if that crust is broken, that might be um, uh, just a way for people to be like, well, you know what? I don't need this job. I don't, I don't want it because it's not fair. Um, these people don't look like me. Um, you know, um, I feel uh, discriminated against. I don't feel safe here. Um, you know, the things that I want to see, I'm not seeing, you know, so I feel like you need all of these three things truly to um, just have a, a a good work environment um, to make sure everybody feels safe. You want to create a safe atmosphere for everyone, mm -hmm. but in order for you to do so, you have to have those things. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I Dr. Like, Kelly. I, I really like the analogy. Uh, mm -hmm. Is diversity, are they needed more than ever? More than ever. So mm -hmm. let's attack it from the business angle. If I mm -hmm. have leadership that looks one way but my organization serves a rainbow literally of people 
I'm missing the mark, not just in marketing. I'm missing the mark in service. I'm missing the mark in product because mm-hmm. there is no one in leadership who has the thought, the, the thought process of saying, hey, I like these things. These are things because people, people who have a similar upbringing, people who have a similar background to me are going to enjoy this because this is what we do as a community. This is as we do, this is what we like as a people. Mm -hmm. We need to incorporate this, this some way, somehow. Mm -hmm. And doing that and providing that service or product for that group of people or the additional groups of people then increases your profitability. Mm -hmm. So if if we just want to look at the numbers game statistically, when you have diverse leadership or leadership that mirrors your client base, then you're going to make more money. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dive into that whole ethics and morals and, and values things because it takes a million different types of people to make the world go round. None of us mm-hmm. are the same. Even as Black people, we are still diverse. Even people who are a part of the LGBTQIA community, they're mm-hmm. still diverse. Even people who are older, we're we're now a part of a workforce that houses multiple generational cohorts. So you got baby boomers who can't afford to retire, mm-hmm. still in the workplace with the gen what Yers or Zers? What, what are mm-hmm. we at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. some generation. Wherever <laughs> we at now, you know they're all in the workplace together. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, you have to figure out how to make your boomer be able to work with your Gen Zer mm-hmm. so that there's still functionality in the mm-hmm. workplace. Mm-hmm. So while diversity, we talk about diversity and of course from the perspective of being uh black and being a woman, that is that is a priority, that is a space because that's where we are. When mm-hmm. we talk about diversity though, we're talking about other spaces too. We're not just talking about race and gender we're talking about others other Mm -hmm. uh differences other marginalized groups as well however we are the most disproportionate Mm -hmm. marginalized group and as black Mm -hmm. women we face the intersectionality of being a woman and being black Mm -hmm. in that space we face a different type of workplace dynamic because we have to deal with gendered racism we have to deal with being the the inequality of being a woman in the workplace and then we get to turn around and be hey i'm black too so mm-hmm. that's it's the double whammy for you in that space mm-hmm. so when you look statistically again at why people leave their jobs they leave because of poor management they leave because of poor leadership they leave because of poor working mm-hmm. conditions not because they don't like their job right. and not because they simply want to leave their job. We ought, listen, we got to work to make a living. Work is yeah, work. Facts. Mm-hmm. It's a means to an end. So if mm-hmm. we leave our job, then that means my, my spirit, my soul, my body, my person, my mental cannot take what you have allowed in this workspace anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's needed now more than ever. And I think the fact that there are so many trying to get rid of it is evidence that it's needed more than ever in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But folks get uncomfortable. Folks get uncomfortable when you start talking about that and folks fear the loss of power. They fear the loss of being the majority. And it's like, well, no, we don't need to call it diversity. We don't mm-hmm. need to talk about equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. We don't want make these people feel bad about being who they are. Well, hell, be a good person and you won't have to. 
Right. Facts. Facts. It won't matter. And just just when you were talking about being the crabs in the barrel mentality, yes. But what we also have to understand is that we've been put into a barrel and crabs are not don't belong in barrels. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect them to create mm-hmm. to react in the environment mm-hmm. that they were not created to be in? Mm-hmm. Come on. You're right. You're right. I uh, I don't have anything to tag on to that. I do believe y'all answered it perfectly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Y'all said everything. Uh, I was looking at some of those notes that I took for that question, and I, I feel like you guys answered it perfectly. I think that's good. James, do you want to take a second and maybe see if we have yep. some questions over here in the chat Definitely. and uh, ask those questions? Definitely. So let's look at some of these comments um, that people have been leaving since y'all been up here dropping these major gems tonight. Uh, let's start with uh, this one right here. Are you starting from the top? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. So just so that makes sense. Okay. Um, yes. Very true. They don't value diversity and don't see us as an asset. Okay. But do we want I like this? But do we want to be seen as assets? But do we want to be seen as assets? Absolutely. We absolutely want to be seen as assets because most of us have honed in our, our craft. We've educated ourselves. We've continued in on a career path to lead us to somewhere. And we add value where we are, wherever mm-hmm. we are. So you mm-hmm. absolutely want to be considered an asset because mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. an asset to the organizations that you contribute to, that you go to work for every day, that you leave your family for eight hours a day, sometimes 40 to 50 hours a week to be with, to make a means to an end. Absolutely you want to be considered mm-hmm. an asset yeah. because you, you, you want to be valued as you should be valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to piggyback on to that and something else, Dr. Kelly, that you said, um, you know, black women are the highest educated in the United States, highest educated, lowest paid. Right. Like, Mm. help me, like, make sense of that statistic. That's a fact. Right. That's been a fact for the last two or three years, I believe probably longer than that, but it was just brought to our attention. You know what I'm saying? But we are still the least paid, still fighting to get to the top, still fighting to be seen. So yeah, just like Ursula said, I'm valuable and I want to be seen as such. Absolutely. You're an asset. And even as I'm getting older, 45, right? And in this transition in my life with, you know, being an entrepreneur and not working for someone else, I wonder, like, if I do have to go back, am I too old? You know, am I too old to be working? But then I read something just so happened to come up the other day, and it was speaking of um, how how these newer generations, the younger generations, are needing something from us older generations, right? We They can learn from us certain things, whether it's the respect, the morals, the values, the systems that are put in place to be successful, while we can still learn something from them. So how do we put us on the same playing field, which before I remember years ago, they would say, you know, after 50 or 55 and you apply for jobs, you know, people don't want to hire you, you're too close to retirement. You know, you used to hear that a lot. 
But my father is in his 60s and he's still working. My mom is in her 60s and she's still working, right? And I often tell them, hey, as long as you're still in this, in the workforce, you have to be willing to pivot and evolve, right? Because it's a growing, changing world. So I do think that we should all feel like we're an asset. If we are educating and training and working in fields to better understand and to be greater for ourselves and our families, yes, we are an asset. I am an asset to, to, to any job. I do believe that for sure. for sure. I would like to add something to that. I think another thing that we really need to be careful about is allowing fear to have so much power. Absolutely. We cannot allow fear to have power over our ability to be bosses, our ability to have these beautiful and big positions. We cannot allow fear to overshadow our dreams. We cannot allow fear to just take control. If we want to be seen as assets, let's put ourselves in the position of being that person, being that woman to step out on faith, being right. that lady to chase after um, her dreams by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you may say this about me. Yeah, um, you may told me I can't do it. Um, I may not be as qualified as you, but I have a vision. I have a dream. Let me achieve it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I deserve to do it. Right. right. You, know? just, you you mentioned uh, you were talking about the, the wage gap um, a second ago, and that takes us right back into gendered racism. That takes mm -hmm. us back into women making 70 cents to the dollar that most men make. And then you have to incorporate the additional disparity of being uh, a, being black in, mm -hmm. into that. So we come in behind the eight ball financially uh, when it in terms of compensation, regardless to our education and regardless to um, how, how much work experience we have. Mm -hmm. uh, we are worked harder. We are required to, you know, that was the main reason I got my doctorate. Mm. Because no one was gonna understand how brilliant I was until they had to call me doctor. Doctor, and that was it. Wasn't the primary reason, but mm -hmm. that was that was the first reason that mm -hmm. if I got to come work for you, if I got to come work with you, you can say about me what you want to, but you got to call me doctor when you do it. Mm -hmm. You and gotta you put some respect on my name. Is what you, you saying? Uh, listen. With the herb and hand rub, all of that. <laughs> and I ain't gonna say it no more. Yeah, right. and I, and I'm not gonna say it again. You got to right. put all the respect on my name because I earned it. So mm -hmm. what I what I found lately is that even in interviewing, I am interviewing with people that I'm more qualified than they Come are. Come on, <laughs> I already know. And, I already and, know. And it's it's a it's a it's a testy game. Um, that we enter into, and as we do get older and age, then you want to pull the ageism in, and then you, wanna, you know, it's it's a lot of different factors that contribute to um, having a healthy workspace and a healthy work culture. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the primary resolve for it, because I'm solution oriented, mm -hmm. um, I'm never going to just sit and complain about a problem. We have to be solution oriented in mm -hmm. it. And in all of it, it is about being authentic leaders, regardless mm -hmm. of what your title is, regardless mm -hmm. of what station you hold or what mantle mm -hmm. has been placed on you. But to live a life of authentic leadership in the workplace, as well as outside of the workplace. One of the things, and Tevis, you know this because we've gone through the same program for our masters, is that 
you cannot separate your work life and your home life. Because mm-hmm. if you don't intentionally bring your home life into your work life or your work life into your home life, those issues, those challenges will either keep you up at night or they'll manifest themselves in a way that it's not, you can't help but for them to come out in mm-hmm. one environment or the other. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. the whole person that we have to deal with. So when mm-hmm. you feel in authentic leadership, you are yourself and mm-hmm. you own the energy that you bring to the room. You own it without blame or judgment and mm-hmm. you deal with it and you lead that way. And that's how you develop trustworthiness with the people who follow you. That's how you develop trustworthiness with your teams. And they it makes them want to work more. Southwest mm-hmm. has a great business model. Mm-hmm. Now, culturally, they're a little screwed up, but right. the business model, in principle, mm-hmm. the business model is brilliant because if I take care of my internal customer, my internal customer is going to take care of my external customer. So when mm-hmm. I was flying and my grandfather died and they they sent the, they called the pilot to tell him that I needed to come home. So mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on, but by the time we landed, then the you know the pilot had come out and he told he he had the other flight attendants pull my bags down and he said we got you dead headed on the flight back to Chicago you mm. gotta come and told me why I received probably five or six envelopes from different bases different in flight instructors different people in with mm-hmm. cards and envelope just envelopes full of of mm-hmm. well wishes and and good thoughts and money somebody. Oh, uh, my base manager, Brenda White, she sent a plant to my mother's house. And it was, we care about what you're experiencing. And it mm-hmm. wasn't a three-day bereavement thing. It was take the time that you need. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. grandfather, right? Mm-hmm. So that came from a space of authentic leadership where they yeah. cared. And this is yeah. the person that they were. So we are missing that now because we have leaders in place who um, who just care about the money, who just care about the bottom mm-hmm. line. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you got to call off because your kid is sick. That's on you. And I'm going to mm-hmm. look money. If you have a loss in the family, okay, you get three mm-hmm. days. That's it. So you need to decide if you're going to take those three days to go home. When they pass, you're going to take those three days to go home. Right. Funeral. But that's what you got to do. And, and mm-hmm. it's turned into a machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that the, the resolution is grace and space. Yeah, yeah. We give ourselves grace and we give other people grace. Yeah. And we give folks space to be who they are. Authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm sorry, James. Go ahead. Please go ahead. Okay. I was just gonna say just to, to tag on to that, you know, um the culture, that culture that plays into the culture. I did work for a nonprofit that, you know, when I first walked in, it was, it was everything that you explained non-traditional. We didn't have PTO, you know, when we needed time off, we took it. We had self-care Wednesdays or mental health Wednesdays where we did not have to do anything work related. We were a family. We were a community within ourselves. Right. Um, But then, but then, when when mm, grace right we are often told to give grace we give grace so if 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 something happens on the flip side then i need you to give me some grace too right and when that that um lack of communication stops or 
is hindered or halts, or sometimes when people are going through personal issues in their home and they bring it into the workplace and it comes out as rage or anger displaced, then what does it look like when that person that displayed that anger runs and tells something that is prematurely told to save he or she self and then you get somebody else in trouble which was the person that sat quietly or the the person that got up to say i'm sorry that you're feeling this way but then you're running across the room as if somebody attacked you right so it's almost like we can still have all of those wonderful things in place but then if everybody is not practicing it then it could blow up like completely blow up right because you know we're not we want a program that just dug in on policy because we were so determined on what the culture looked like and we wanted to build a community of family but you know my thing is the thing that we're preaching to the community by way of the nonprofit i was working with what we're preaching to the community we have to practice and preach it within our program as well right when you're not doing that to me you're not being true you're not being authentic you know what i'm saying and if you to me that's fake and i i, I can't deal in that i'm me i am me unapologetically me now in that instance twice god sealed my lips so tight so tight and I don't even understand why. I do kind of understand why. Because I understood that what she was going through, it wasn't about me. Because you had issues going on at home, but I was the punching bag. And I don't know if that's because that we were the closer ones. I don't know. But then I say this to also say that these were Black women. So let me flip it. When it's Black women hurting each other, how do you handle that? Because to me, that's a different type. I'm gonna let Miss Stephanie go first on this one <laughs> we we kind of expect the people that don't look like us to disappoint or to hurt us maybe or to act <laughs> Come but, on. When but when it's your people that you've poured into that you've helped put food on their table that you've you or know they look like you to, when in a moment I could have blew the whole program apart mm. because everybody done told me stuff talk to me about things Right, mm. I could have just been ugly. I couldn't. I couldn't utter a sound. Could not utter a sound. That's not me. Anybody that know me know that I'm going to take up for myself. Period. I couldn't. And I don't know if that's because I knew that the hurt came from somewhere else in this person. It was completely displaced because I empower. My thing is. I want God, I want my words and my actions to minister grace and love to everybody I come in contact with. That's how I move. That ain't to say that I don't fall short sometimes. That ain't to say that I may be overly nurturing or overly whatever, because I am. I'm not perfect. But at the end of the day, I'm for you. You ride with me, I'm riding with you. I got your back. And even sometimes when you done screwed over me, I got you. So my question is, when it is your people that's doing this to you, where does, where does this come into play? Where does DEI come into play? How do you, how do you do that? Do you want to say colorism? You know, what does that look like? Cause even when I had to call my parents and tell them, Hey, I don't have a job. 
I 45 years old and I don't, well, 44 at the time, I don't have a job. I got a mortgage. I got a whole child. I done been released from a job for what? Help me make it make sense to me when I was quiet, when the other people said she didn't say nothing, but I'm gone. And I wasn't the one hitting desks, cussing and all that. So when it's like that, because my dad's first thing question was, well, were what they white? No, they wasn't white. Like so how do you how do you maneuver those waters how does this come into play when we when we are in those situations miss stephanie mm. it's a different kind of hurt <laughs> a different kind of hurt it's different it's a different kind of hurt um i had a situation with um one of my former managers i was working at this grocery store and he was a black man um, he, um, interviewed me and was like, I want to show you, um, my background because I was trying to get the position to be the dairy and frozen head. He has already informed me like, Hey, nobody wants this job. Um, I had people in this position, about two or three people in this position. And these people have left within days, um, because it's too cold for them. It's too hard for them. And they were men. And I was just like, well, during this time, I was it was um, getting past COVID. I was really just looking for a job. Um, I was desperate. I really just wanted to get whatever I could. Now, I knew I had experience in Dairy and Frozen, so it was nothing for me. Um, he just kept saying, well, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? He showed me the back room. He was like, are you sure you can manage this? I'm like, yes, I can manage it. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, I can. Um, fast forward, I wound up getting the position um, after he brought in the district manager to interview me for about a second or third time. Um, he said, we're going to start you off at this certain pay. I think I was making roughly $10.50. No, $9.50. I made 50 cents extra. My experience got me 50 cents. Um and so he um he um we we went through the whole interview the whole interview process he said we're going to if you're too good for this job we're going to give you a management position you're going to be a key holder um in about two to three months he's seen and has made comments the district manager himself has seen me he's a white man he's seen me make comments it was just like yeah you're supposed to be a manager um, when I talked to my boss, who was the black man, he said, I think that you aren't tough enough to be a manager, even though I had management experience. But I looked at him and I was just like, why? And I felt some type of way because I'm just like, is it because I'm young? Um, he's roughly like 50s, 60s, but um, he has been in the grocery store business for about 40 some years. And I was just like, you know, I respect you, but at the same time, if you see me trying to grow, why can't I grow? So I felt some type of way. Um, and so as I was in this position, I was also giving, given this assignment of being over these stalkers. Um, they were high schoolers. These high schoolers did not know how to rotate milk, did not know how to rotate anything correctly. Um, and I kept going to my boss, kept going to my boss saying, hey, like, look, um, I'm having problems in this area. No type of disciplinary action was done. 
I was just like, boss, I really need you to do something because they're not trying to listen to me. I have went to him well over about 12 times, begging and pleading. His response to me was, well, I could hire somebody that you want. I'm like, why would I bring somebody into this environment knowing how I'm being treated and, and put, put them in the place that I am in? And, and I just feel like that's unfair because the people that I'm connected to work just as hard as I do, if not harder. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's fair. It got to a point to where I was just like, you're not listening. And it, I got frustrated. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I got frustrated. I had to bite my tongue, but I felt like at that point when I just realized that things just weren't getting any better, I had to walk away to keep myself sane and to keep my mental peace mm -hmm. and just to walk away with some sort of dignity. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, if you're not gonna listen to me, what more can I do? Mm -hmm. Because I don't wanna be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wondering, maybe I shouldn't have let you go first because that sucks. Mm -hmm. um, I hate that that was the experience and that we don't look out for each other in, in corporate workspaces mm -hmm. um, at all, actually. And it, it came up um, when I was doing research for my dissertation. We were talking about discrimination in the workplace and the whole time code switching was um, thematic. It was it was a theme throughout the entire research process, through the focus groups, through the interviews. Code switching came up, and and I was expecting code switching to come up as a way to maneuver through the workspace and to be less of a target, right? Until it came up in a large focus group as code switching being the reason for black women treating other black women less than worthy, less than moral, less than valued, less than right in the workplace because they were trying to fit in. And, and I think that sometimes we minimize code switching to our, our tone and our verbiage and our dialect, the way we pronounce things and how we, we clean it up when we answer phones, but we don't take into account the flip side of the people who look like us, who are on the receiving end of the code switching. Because once you code switch, you one of them. you trying mm -hmm. to be one of them. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect the next person? Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like what you may have experienced in the workplace was not just code switching. It may have been a bit of misogyny, you being a woman, considering other men mm -hmm. have been in that role and not able to be successful. How dare a woman come in and be successful? But also, I'm playing the good old boys game and I'm a part of the good old boys club. So I really can't let you outdo me or outshine me in that workspace. Long story short, there is no answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, somebody uh, posted in the in the comments as a culture, at what point do we stop seeking validation and start working toward independence? And I think that that's the goal all the time, but separate but equal does not work. We have to be a part of this society. We have to be a part 
of this culture, but how do we do that with integrity and value? How do we do that in a space where we can maintain our own personal beliefs and not tear Mm -hmm. other people down, but actually build each other up? Mm -hmm. And it has to be a concern for all of us. If your concern is just you in the workplace, you're not worried about Mm-hmm. how the next person coming behind you is going to do or how to make room for other people who look like you, you trying to get yours. Mm-hmm. That's a personal space. I think mm-hmm. the group mentality of, of most is like, yeah, I want to make it better for other people. I want to make it better for the person coming behind me. But mm-hmm. there are some individuals who are like bump everybody else. I got to get mine. And mm-hmm. those are the that when they go into code switching, they don't care about how they treat people who look like them. They don't care if there is someone else because they want there are some people that want to be the token. I want to be the prized black person on this team. Mm-hmm. They want yeah. that. Yeah. Because like I I forgive me, y'all can blur me out, but it's like I want to be that nigga. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I want to be that. And, and they produce and, and they act accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that is them being their authentic selves. And you can't do anything about other people. You can't control other people. You can't change other people's beliefs or mindsets. But what you can do is continue to work toward a common good for everyone. If that is, if that is who you are as a person authentically. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a it's a tough space that that threw me when a black woman looked me in my face and told me no. The worst experience I had in the workplace was another black woman who was trying to be a white woman and trying to be accepted by white women. Mm-hmm. It threw me under the bus every mm-hmm. chance she got mm-hmm. because it made her look more important to them. Mm-hmm. 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 Let me ask y'all a question. Yeah. Let me ask y'all a question. Do you think that goes back to the slavery? mindset. You all know how they used to do in slavery. You had your house black people and you had your outside black people. Mm-hmm. Now the house black people felt like they was better because of the simple fact of them being able to be right up under the master. And what would they do? They would run back and tell the master everything mm-hmm. that the ones outside was planning mm-hmm. on doing. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have done is taken that same mentality that we had in that some of them had in slavery, and we taken it to the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will be quick to run and tell on each other mm-hmm. instead of trying to build each other up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when we see each other doing good, we won't commend each other. What we'll do is try to outshine each other. Mm-hmm. and try to make it to where the other one looks bad. Mm-hmm. My thing is there's plenty of, there's plenty of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And my goal is the more work that we do doesn't mean that we get off any earlier. All they're going to mm-hmm. do is just find more work for us to do later on anyways. So mm-hmm. let's keep a steady pace. However, mm-hmm. don't... Yeah, yeah. I you think know, that goes back to that crabs in a barrel thing. Like you're putting yeah. us in spaces that are not created for us. Mm-hmm, you're putting mm-hmm. us in, in space. This, like when you start talking about systemic uh, racism, systemic oppression, when you start talking about the work, these workplaces were not created for us. So when you put us in there, 
then you are going to get some barrel like crab activity um, that that takes place. I think that all of it stems black back uh, to slavery. I think that all of it goes back to how we were treated. I don't. I think that we can remove, uh, not necessarily remove, but I don't think it has so much to do with the colorism in spaces. But I think that it has to do with that mentality of, okay, I've made it. I'm better. I can do, you know, better work. Like, okay, yeah, I've got my doctorate. My homegirl has been locked up for five years and she came out and she decided that she was going to take her business since from the street and start a business. And now she's got a cleaning company that doesn't make me any more important than her or Mm -hmm. me more successful than her because she's been able to take her situation and make it work for Mm -hmm. hers. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's the space where we don't really give each other enough credit in. And that goes back to that grace and space thing too, is that we don't really um, look at each other and say, oh, like this, you know how me and Tevin started talking? Me and Tevin started talking because I was like, oh, you cute. Because I don't care. I don't, I don't care. You cute. You cute. You cute. I love your hair, Miss Stephanie. Like, you cute. Like, that's just because your light does not damn mine. Mm-hmm. Facts. Does not damn mine. Mm-hmm. And I, I you got to be confident in that. You have to be confident in that. And that's what I find. And I didn't mean to cut you off. So please go ahead. I'll speak on that in a minute. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. No, it's, it's just, it's one of those spaces where it's not even, it's, it's confidence and raising our children in confidence. We are uh, the largest percentage of applicants that do not negotiate our pay rate when we get job acceptances, uh, when we get job offers. We're the ones that don't negotiate. We're the ones that go in and want to be timid and we don't want to toot our own horns. No, I'm tooting my horn. I'm patting my back. I'm pedaling. I'm doing all that because I worked for it and I raised my daughter to do the same, to not be ashamed of her accomplishments Mm -hmm. or feel like, oh, it's a privilege for me to interview with you, baby, it's a privilege that I'm interviewing with you at all because I need to make sure you're the fit for me. Mm-hmm. Just like you trying to make sure I'm the fit for you because it's equally important mm-hmm. that I understand the workplace culture that I'm going into. It's equally important that I feel included in this space and that I fit that you fit into my world just mm-hmm. as much as you're trying to figure out if I fit into your world. And mm-hmm. I think that if we we look at we have to turn our entire mindset of how we view workspaces how we view corporate and i'm gonna say this and then i'll go ahead and pass it off stop like i i get nervous when people at, at, at workplace to say oh we're like a family no you're not no you're not you're not my family you're not mm-hmm. my family this is a place where i come to make a means to an end this is where i come to pay my bills and when it's time for me to go home and be with my family i'm with my family see because i'm stuck with them jokers i'm not stuck with you and i'm not going to work in this space like i'm stuck with you i'm mm-hmm. gonna work in this space and meet all of my objectives and all of my goals i'm gonna make my benchmarks i'm gonna do all mm-hmm. that we're gonna talk about kpis we're gonna do we're gonna do all of that good stuff mm-hmm. let me tell you something when you get on my night i'm going home Mm -hmm. I'm going home and I'm not taking it with me. I'm not going to give you the honor of being considered my family because I take family seriously. So when, when workplaces start saying stuff like that, I run, we not a family. We a team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We a team. We're going to score together. We're going to work together. We're going to make it. Yes. We a team, but you're not my family. Right. Right. And, And 
families start doing that, you you turn when when workplaces start doing that, you turn around like you look at it. Tell mm-hmm. me any work environment that you've been in that where they say, "Oh, we're like a family." That wasn't probably one of the most toxic workspaces you'd ever been in. (laughs) Hey, and that Mm. is kind of what it ended up being for me. You know, the best job, highest paid job I've had. It was great. Love what I did. Loved the community that I was working in. The women, like, loved it. So, again, that, that confidence, that confidence, being confident in who you are, you know, you know, the boss has said to me once, like, you're a, a lion. And I'm like, what? Because, you know, we think about lion, you know, he's like, when you walk into the room, you demand attention without even opening your mouth because that's just who mm-hmm. you are. Not that you're looking mean, not da da da. But then when you open your mouth and you know what you're talking about, that gives a different perspective. But then your heart, your heart is different, right? When people really get to know you, they understand that. Everything you do comes from a place of love, of support, of empowering. Maybe people don't always know how to take it. They take offense to it or they take it personal, but that's because they, they're not there yet. They haven't got to that maybe level of maturity, so to say, right? And, you know, and in those moments of after all this stuff happened and before the report, the false report was filed and, you know, the words were, I got you. I'm going to walk with you through this. I told you guys that this is what the communities or, you know, the people on the outside is looking for black women not being able to work together. They're looking for one of us to drop off. They're looking for one of us to blow up and make it not right. Well, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do any of that. He even said the night before, like, I'm waiting for you. Waiting for what? Why don't you step into that? I mean, I was the director of the program that I was over and the the other ladies were directors of their programs waiting for you to step into that leadership role. Why don't you? And I said, because of the stuff that just happened. That's why I don't. I I still wear my crown crook. That's what I often say is because I don't want to keep stepping on people's toes. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to feel like I can't be me because you're taking offense to it. But why? So as um, Andrea Perry said, the question about what do we do when we are in these situations with people that are the same race as us, I think it goes to say we don't need to give the grace because it won't be received or mural. Mine wasn't at all. And I gave grace, like grace, 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 right? And it wasn't. So does, does DEI, does it come into play when we are when it's us, unless it, yeah, it was, if it was sexual, right? It would, it was another man. But what if it's a woman on woman situation like this? I was unjustly treated. I was not treated right. What happened? I believe in, I believe in sister girl moments. We gonna have to have some coffee, some tea, a cocktail, some wine. So we gonna gonna talk about it. Cause I'm, I'm gonna let you have it. I commend you. You know my mom. I commend you. I, hey, when I say, I don't know if I was just so shocked. I, the words that I said is, am I in the twilight zone? That's what I said. Am I in the twilight zone? Like I was baffled, baffled. So I don't know, right? It, that situation, like I said, I don't have a desire in my heart to interact with um, them unless you can give me four months worth of payback. We have no words. Um, Come on. Maybe in a few years I'll feel differently, but at this moment, um, I'm not. I have ran into the boss um, just last Friday 
um, I definitely was talking mad stuff like I don't want him to hug, I don't want him, but he blurted my name out so loud that I couldn't do nothing but stop and speak, right? Because the environment we were in, but it, it was uncomfortable. It was not, it was awkward. I really wouldn't, you know, he did kind of say, oh, you know, you're probably like, why are you trying to talk to me? And I'm thinking, and I did do my face like that, right? But it's just kind of like, how do you handle those situations? I don't know. I guess that's yet to be talked about. But I really do want to um, shift really quick because I know we're over our time and talk about how do we feel about the threat of DEI in Florida? How do we feel about that? Um, to me personally, it's BS when it comes to taking away programs that are specifically for Blacks underserved women, um, it sucks. You know, even as far as the black history, the books being taken out of the school, the history being taken out of the school. Um, I I think, um, you know, when it comes to taking the programs uh, out of the colleges and universities that support us and those of us who may need more help and assistance is just another way for him, them to hold us back. It's still that oppressing us situation, right? Um, um, DeSantis and all of the stuff that he's doing, I, yeah, he's uh, a crockapoo. He's a crockapoo. So uh, <laughs> I want y'all to tell y'all's piece on how you all feel about feel about all that that's going on in Florida. Okay, I'm very disgusted about it because uh, it was this is this one comment he made. I have it um, quoted. Um, it's from report um, by npr.org and I quote he says he believes that DEI universe uh, DEI diversity equity and, and inclusion is better viewed as standing for discrimination exclusion and indoctrination during a news conference and I quote and that has no place in our public institutions so my my thing was you're preparing students to go into the workforce. When you're going to college, you're preparing for something greater. You're preparing for, for something greater. You wanna grow. You're going there for a purpose. Um, you're supposed to be setting these students up for success, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of any type of diverse aspect that they may have, you have the responsibility as an educator to educate them. You have the responsibility to give them those resources in their specific course of study to have them succeed. Why, my question is, how is it that the government, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis can, can have that kind of control to say, okay, well, for these minority groups, I am going to just take it away and defund these programs to where they no longer exist. And because it's, it's discrimination. I feel like this is um, Jim Crow all over again. I feel like we're back, we're backtracking, but this Jim Crow is, is, it's like it's masked because we're trying to, people are trying to include, make everything so universal, like everything. Okay, so like how we were saying with George Floyd, all lives matter. 
um, no, we were saying Black Lives Matter, but everybody wants to say All Lives Matter. For these programs, we want to try to target minorities because they need the resources. But yet, now you're trying to make it to where it's all inclusive. And I feel like it's, it's, it's doing us a disservice because we won't have those opportunities. We, we will lack those resources. We won't have those opportunities that we seek that we're trying to go forth in. You're gonna have problems, a lot of problems. And what's so interesting to me is that the state of Texas is even considering doing this bill as well. I have a fear that this is gonna be all over the United States mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to, it's, it's literally just taking us back. And I'm like, if we're trying to push forward, why would you do something so dumb? That because they are afraid. Fear. They are afraid. Mm -hmm. They are afraid. That is, we, I, I think the, the space, and I hate to cut you off, but I've been over here coughing, choking, laughing. <laughs> And just trying to keep it all inside because these folks crazy. So let me tell you, they are afraid of losing power. They are afraid of the truth being told and there being true allyship in the government. There being true allyship in corporate workspaces. There being true equity in, in, in college graduates. They are afraid, girl. They are afraid because statistics show, I think it's by 2045, that the majority is no longer the majority. Mm. And if you mm -hmm. really want to get into it, we can talk about abortion uh, rights. I was going to say, that's what I was going to say. If, if the government can take away a woman's right to do what they want to do with their body, but, what can but, they but, not but, do? The government taking away the woman's right to do what she wants to do with her body got to do with the number one group demographic of people having abortions, which is white women. Mm. It has mm. nothing else to do with the 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 it, it's it's about self-preservation mode, girl. They ain't, they are in how do I how do we preserve being on top of the hill? How do we fix it? How do we how do we how do we make this Keep this the way that it is. And that's what it's about. How do I feel about it? I think Florida and Texas need to be their own country. That's what I really think. However, at the end of the day, when you start looking at the practices that they're pushing and saying that DEI is this, that, and the third, they are doing it to appeal to starch right conservative, uh starch right conservatives. They're doing it to appeal to those people because they have uh, uh, presidential runs in mind and they want to get further in politics and they know the more extreme they are the more appealing they are in that sense again I have to come back to being solution oriented how do we fix it we continue to support we continue to support DNI efforts we continue so here in, in Nashville y'all know about the Tennessee Three and, and how we, you know, have had to rally behind Justin Jones, a fellow Fiskite, and the other Justin and, and all the, the other representatives that wanted to stand up for common sense gun laws, how we had to rally behind them there. 
we gonna have to do it all over again. Y'all, the history repeats itself. And that's just where we are with DEI, and that's where we're going to continue to be. The more awakened the community comes, the more awakened that educated, uh, educated, educated black women, educated black men, educated white men. And while I talk a whole lot about white women being the most evil women walking this planet, they are some of the most powerful women walking this planet. And the world knows that once you get a powerful white woman behind you as an mm-hmm. ally that's it mm-hmm. that's it so you you turn in you turn into this space like we're we're we are in the twilight zone mm-hmm. we are in the twilight zone so it goes mm-hmm. back to that question of are we gonna stand up for what's right are we gonna sit comfortable in the spaces we in and let ha- let it happen? Are we gonna, you know, have something to say? Are we gonna be void? Are we gonna be verbose in our mm-hmm. stance about mm-hmm. DNI? Mm-hmm. Are we gonna be verbose about basic human rights? Mm-hmm. That's the space, and and you have to ask yourself that question. And it's cool. We can be in lockstep. Get it. Get get in line, or just get out the way and let the right. folks do the For work. Sure. Right. For sure. For sure. I know I used to say, you know, back in the day, like if I was growing up during the civil rights movement, you know, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have made it out of my twenties. <laughs> Facts. Because I I was half of the girl that I was in high school then, now, especially now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but um, that history repeating itself is very real. Uh, it looks a little differently, uh, but it's still pretty much the core of it. It's the same, right? Um, I think that it's important that to speak on these things in multiple lights. I know we've talked a lot about um, women and Black women and the white women, but James did have questions um, that stem from a man's perspective. And before we drop off of this Zoom or this call, uh, I would like James to ask a couple of those questions that you had put in the chat that's uh, from a man's perspective. Oh, definitely. Uh, Y'all, there's definitely going to be a part two to this (laughs) because we just just getting started, y'all. We are barely (laughs) scratching the surface. And for us to be off for a month, there's no better way to start it off than with a conversation like this. So to take it from a man's perspective, the question that I would have for you ladies is, have you ever felt uncomfortable around a male coworker? And then the second part of that question is, you find it hard to make friends with others you work with. So have you ever felt uncomfortable around your male coworkers? Because let's be all the way honest and let's be all the way real. A lot of the times when the man is in a higher authority, he is more, I don't want to say more, but he's a lot likely to be persuaded to use his authority mm-hmm. to get you in situations that you normally wouldn't find yourself in. And then when you say no, magically, they find something wrong with you to fire you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, I've absolutely felt uncomfortable being a direct report to um, a male, uh, every male, not just white, not just black, but uh, it has been my experience that men have used their authority to attempt to um, push their own uh, ideas, agendas, uh, personal beliefs, affections, and um yeah, it's the it's it's that gendered racism space. It it's a space where you just you know what it is. You you kind of know going in. I I remember being. I grew up in church, growing up in church, and being a young lady. I am curvy. It don't matter. I'm and I'm trash bag fan. It don't matter what I got on. You can put a trash bag <laughs> on me, and I'm gonna look the same. So it didn't matter what I had on. It was always an issue. It was always a problem. Uh, leading into question number two, did I find it hard to make friends? Absolutely. Because one, a woman thought I wanted a man or thought I was using my looks to get somewhere, um, uh, you know, further in, within the organization. And that's always been the thing. I, I think for me, though, I don't look for friends at work. You're not my friends. I have amazing friends outside of work. You're my coworker. And I mm -hmm. think that we need to normalize putting people in the buckets that they belong in. And the bucket mm -hmm. is you are my my supervisor. You are my manager. You are my coworker. You are my direct report. You are my subordinate. And understand that you are my classmate. You are my associate. But my friends are my friends. And they're my friends for a reason. So I don't go into workspaces looking for camaraderie. I go into workplaces looking for results. True. And I know, Stephanie, I know you answered this question earlier a little bit, but I didn't know if it might have been another situation. Um, yes, I did kind of feel uncomfortable by this um, store manager. Um, he, it, it just felt, his, his whole vibe was weird. Um, People used to call him kind of like a Dr. Doolittle because he kind of looked like him. And um, I mean, he, he really did, honestly. Um, but he just had this way of about talking to you. Like when you're a boss, sometimes you talk with like this specific. <clears throat> he was a little too friendly. Let me just let me just say that he was a little too friendly. Um, in his way of communication. Um, and it did lead to me feeling kind of uncomfortable. So that was another reason why I did leave. I just felt like he was just more so trying to just play with me. And I don't like being played with when it comes to my job. Mm -mm. Um, as far as like making friends at work, I've made a couple, but I will say it's it's hard to really just find those true friends because my thing is you have those that will try to take advantage of you um especially when you're in like a management position like I, i'm coming out of being the grocery and stocking manager um i've had um a couple friends um but i had to try to create a um kind of like uh, a, a balance between okay and, and 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 more so like like a boundary okay look i'm i'm your boss I need you to please do what I asked you to do. Um, and we won't have any issues. Yes, I will respect you because you are human. Like I expect you to respect me. Um, and, you know, if there's anything that I can help you with, I don't mind. 
but just let it be understood that this is the workplace and let's let's not um let's let's keep that as a, a reminder that we are here you know it's more so kind of just establishing a boundary but i i have i can say i have had some genuine friendships that came out of the workplace yeah yeah um for me i i have not had any males to approach me wrong i would honestly prefer to work with men than women if you really just want me to be honest, because it's not the caddy drama. Um, I've not, I don't even think that I've had any male in direct co-working space that has been slick and sly, you know, to say anything inappropriate. If they thought it, it never crossed their lips. Um, and it's probably because I kind of, you know, excuse me, my, my face is kind of not always at its friendliest, maybe. So people probably know not to do too much. Um, so, so I, I've not had any issues. Some of the better jobs I've had have been when my boss was was a male versus a female. Um, then, as far as friendships on the job, um, a lot of my positions have been leadership roles, and um, if it's like a lateral relationship, um, then yes. Um, but if it's not, then it's a very fine line. Um, I don't consider my, myself a boss. I consider myself a leader, right? So when you are a leader, people naturally draw to you. They naturally cling to you. They can naturally just want to be in your space, right? And when when that is the case, you know, if I see that somebody's trying to butter, I'm honest. Like, hey, you know, da-da-da, da-da-da, I'm still got to do what I'm supposed to do, you know, by way of writing you up or whatever. Love you. You're the sweetest person in the world. But, you know, I got to keep it fair. You know, I'm honest across the board. Um, I met two wonderful ladies at one of my jobs um, and we still meet up to eat monthly there for each other during special occasions, sad occasions. And she is a very they are very good friends to me. Um, but um, but um, like on the, the one of the jobs that I had shared with you, that situation thought was a friend was definitely blindsided, and um, that I, I'm I'm scarred by that. So um, I think just I don't know if I just kind of went in blind, maybe I don't know. And typically that's not me, but I was definitely blindsided. So I think there is a fine line. Um, between relationships on the job with people and how you uh, move in them on the job and outside of the job. I, you know, tell a lot of the clients that I coach that are in leadership roles, your coworkers, um, your educators shouldn't be your friend on social media. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to leave your personal life there. Your business life is your business life. You shouldn't friend your, any of the parents on your on your uh, personal page or any of your educators, right? I, I believe that. So as long as I'm in a leadership role, if any of my coworkers um, friend me on social media, I don't accept it. It's it's there. You know what I'm saying? So I do think that you definitely have to be mindful of how you maneuver in that space for sure. I mean, some people are good, genuine, good people. And I was blessed to, to meet two of those at one of my jobs. And um, I feel like it'll be a friendship forever, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's my spill on that. 
Jamie I think has. Miss Stephanie hit the nail on the head with boundaries. Oh yeah, having, having and understanding the boundaries because mm -hmm. that's what it sounds like. Um, you just explained there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's true. It kind of goes back to if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you go in there and you're not giving them no boundaries, then they're gonna walk all over you. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I've faced that so many times as a young person. Mm -hmm. Um, just you know, and then like my my stalkers were all older than me. Um. They range from about maybe 30 to about 67. And so I wanted to make sure, you know, I believe in showing respect to my elders, but I wanted them to understand, like, look, I'm not no child. You are older than me, but with all due respect, please respect this position that I'm in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And what sometimes I feel like what people have to understand is, in order to get respect, you have to give respect. Absolutely. So if you are not giving me respect on the other end, mm -hmm. I don't care if you manager or not manager, I'm going to respect the title that you have, but the mm -hmm. respect for you. And what they have to understand as well also is you get more out of your co-workers when you treat them the right way. When you treat yeah. them the way that they want to be treated, or the way mm -hmm. that you would want to be treated. They ain't going to have a problem working later for you if you need them to. But when you out here and you are, it's hard for me to even get a day off. I'm having to jump through hoops just to get a day off. And when you finally do approve it, I'm getting backlash from it. Mm -hmm. Is that really going to make me want to stay and work over for you? Or right. when five o'clock comes, if it ain't mandatory, what do you think I'm willing? What do you think I'm going to do when five o'clock comes in? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. I um, I agree. I, I think that goes into the authentic leadership, and I oftentimes speak on, um, speak on um, um, authentic leadership and uh, empathetic leader. Being an empathetic leader, right? You can be an empathetic leader which to me is being honest, being real, understanding what's going on and, and, um, and still have good relationship and rapport with your, with your coworkers. Right. Uh, I think being truthful, I think being honest, I think leading, um, with, uh, authenticity, um, and bringing your team in and, and building that healthy team it also goes with setting the culture, setting the tone in the workplace. When you establish boundaries going in, that ain't being a boss, what I say go, it's none of that, right? Mm -hmm. When you show your true authentic self and you set the boundaries and you speak from the heart and you lead from the heart, I feel like people will understand how to receive you sooner than playing the whole guessing game, right? So, um, so yeah, so that's it. I think Kelly's um, computer may have... Um, have died, may have died. So she texted me and said she thinks it may die. So if that's if she if she's off, that's probably what it is. Um, but I know we we've been on here for a while. Um, <laughs> Definitely last, a part two. Last, the last conversation Kelly and I had, we went over like this too, and I do have it on our chart to do a part two. I think that this conversation is worth carrying on because we had way more great questions that I think is worth digging into. So. 
um, we will definitely um, get this one back in um, again from my perspective, if James, James is okay uh, from that. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the audience, you all have been amazing tonight. I love when you guys participate like this. Please continue to like and share and follow us. This is this is great. Um, Stephanie, you're amazing. Um, oh, no matter your age, no matter your goals and visions, just keep letting your light shine. Lead, lead from your heart. Make sure the heart and mind are connecting and um, you're gonna rock, girl. You're gonna rock. And 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 we're gonna give you a chance too to tell us about your 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 business too. But James, you do your thing. All right. Y'all, we enjoyed y'all tonight. Thank y'all for rocking with us. We appreciate y'all coming back after our month-long break. I'll just be honest. I think all of us needed that month break to where we could handle some other things, but we're back and we're ready to work. We have some great topics coming. For you all, uh, episode 100 is coming on yeah. in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ain't even going to let y'all know the surprises that we have for episode 100. You just got to tune in to see who the guests are going to be, what's going to happen. You just got to watch it to find out. That's the only way you'll see it. And uh, also, we'll talk Monday as we close out is up for an award again and it is because of you all that we are nominated again and we appreciate you all for this um we are up for a podcast of the year in the music love awards you can go to that website that is posted below and vote and here's the thing that i love about it you can vote as many times a day as you want voting is unlimited on that and uh, we just thank God for all that he is doing. Because one thing that we realize is it's not about us, but it's all about uplifting his name. I would not be what I am without him, but I also would not be what I am without my co-host, Tevis, without Daisy. They keep me sane a lot of the times, and I really appreciate them. And um, as I always say before we close it out, and turn it over to Miss Stephanie to give us a little bit of her information. Um, I want y'all to know that sometimes our disappointments are nothing more than God's appointments, meaning some things that we look at is bad. God is only turning it around for our good. Stay blessed, be blessed, and be a blessing to someone else. Stephanie, it's on you. Hello, my name is Stephanie McGregor once again. I am the owner and CEO and founder of Relevate Me Christian Clothing Line, LLC. It's a clothing line that just um, was inspired by just my love for Christ. Um, It targets people of all ages. Um, I am a firm believer in taking the Lord with you and sharing this message everywhere you go. So um, we have merchandise, merchandise. T-shirt, hoodies, um, sweat gear, all sorts of types of things. Um, just sharing God's message. That's what we're about over here. So thank y'all for allowing me to be here. It's an honor. Um, just thank y'all. I had a good time. Definitely. Thank you. Thank Definitely. you. Thank you, Stephanie, for, for being here. Um, as many of you guys know, I'm Tevis, um, CEO and founder of Savet Empowerment, LLC. It's a coaching consulting training and now doula services so if you all know anyone who 
is in the ECE, early child care education space that needs leadership development, organizational development systems, lesson planning, just support as a whole in the program. Please send them to me wherever they are. Don't have to just be here in Tennessee or Kentucky, but wherever. And if you all have any family and friends or educators that are expecting a baby and they're interested in doula services, reach out to me. Um, my, I am on Facebook and Instagram and I have a website. Um, so just look me up. I will put my information in the chat. Um, so you guys will have it and know how to find me. Um, but thank you guys. This has blessed my soul today because everybody <laughs> was so interactive. It makes me happy. Yes, um, thank you, yes, yes. You know, I appreciate you for giving me this platform and allowing me to share my voice. Um, and getting me more comfortable in front of the camera. I'm way better than what I was. So this is good. This is good. Yes, so Stephanie, yes, you're yes. a blessing. You've been amazing. And thank you guys. Thank you guys. I thank appreciate you. you. And my name is Reverend James H. Glover III, CEO of Reverend James C3 Ministries, where our motto is we keep Christ first and everything else second. And we are trying to inspire a generation in a different way to show them that their love for Christ doesn't always have to be in beside the four walls of the church. You can love Christ in any way that you can and show them a different method of loving the Lord. So you can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, anywhere you want. You can also email us at rev.jc3ministry at gmail.com. And if you want to book us to preach or anything like that, we're totally available. Love y'all. Peace. See y'all next Monday. Peace. Have a good night.